We read earlier in the service 1 Kings 3, 16 through 28, about Solomon and his judgment of the two harlots. Earlier we read of the request that Solomon made, his desire that God would give him wisdom, and how God said that he would answer that, he would give him wisdom. Why did Solomon ask for wisdom, though? Do any of you kids remember? Why did Solomon say he wanted wisdom? Moses. Not so that God would give him more than what he asked for. God did that. Why, Tate? He needed wisdom to rule Israel. He wanted, he wanted to be wise so that he could judge, so that he could rule. And so when God said, yes, I grant your request, wisdom you will have and wisdom in abundance, wisdom more than you could possibly imagine, more wisdom than I've ever given to anybody else before, then we get this story that is an example of Solomon exercising his wisdom that God had given him. Now, why is this the example of Solomon's wisdom? It's a striking story, isn't it? It certainly grabs your attention. But is that why it's the example? No, a good story doesn't have to have any great wisdom in it. This is a good story. But the reason this story was chosen is because of how great Solomon's wisdom is displayed in it. Two people claiming the opposite. It's a he said, she said sort of situation, right? And, and we know that we use that phrase when? When it's impossible to find out the answer. That's what that phrase means. There were no witnesses. Nobody else could help. Nobody else could say, yeah, that one looks like her. There was just her word versus her word. Just the two women. One of them says this, the other says the opposite. Here's what happened. No, it happened exactly the opposite. How are you going to judge a situation like that? Well, I know as parents, sometimes what we want to do is just throw up our hands and not make a judgment, right? That's impossible to judge. I guess, you know, might makes right. Whoever got what they wanted in the end got what they wanted. Isn't that often how we, we, we just let the cards fall as they may? Because it's like, well, it's impossible to judge. And in some situations, that may be all we can do. But Solomon here goes far beyond that, doesn't he? He manages to come up with an answer. And one that is self-evidently correct. 
It's obvious when you read the story, isn't it? He got it right. That's why all of Israel afterwards, oh, we have a wise king who knows how to get justice. All it takes is a few sentences. Did you hear about that judgment he made? No, no, what happened? Well, it's like this. She said this, she said that. He said, divide the baby. No. Yeah, but get this. And and you know how this story is going to spread, right? It's a great story. It's a great example of Solomon's wisdom. A great example of his wisdom. Two people claiming the opposite, no witnesses, and not only no witnesses, but get this, what's at stake makes this such a great example? Because it's, it's, a, it's a question of kidnapping, right? It's a question of kidnapping. So it's not like, well, I had the toy first. You know, well, it just doesn't matter. <laughs> In the end, you can, you can let something like that go because why? Because it doesn't matter. Because who cares? You're not allowed to care that much. That's my judgment. Right? But in this case, we're dealing with kidnapping. It's right to care that much. I don't think normally people have that much sympathy for prostitutes. I mean, that's been my impression. It's not like they're we, we feel like they're an uh, important part of society. We don't feel like they're the innocent or the downtrodden necessarily. Sometimes people do begin to realize, oh, you know what, there's, there's some downtroddenness here. There's some, there's some injustice here, but it's hard to get people to care. But you care about this, don't you, when you start reading this story? My son, three days old, She kidnapped him. All of a sudden you have some sympathy, don't you? You'd have to be heartless to not be moved by this case. So this is part of why it's the example, right? Solomon even provides justice to prostitutes. In the hardest cases. It's amazing. Now this, this kind of case, it really is the hard kind of case, right? This is the kind of case that would, that would boil up from the lower courts. Now you know that... <clears throat> uh, Many years before, Moses would make judgments. He would sit and judge the people all day. 
And the moment that you get a group of people together, there needs to be judgments made between them. Now, here we are, a group of people. Right? We're a group of people. Are there going to have to be judgments? Are there going to have to be judgments made between us? Are there going to be conflicts within this very body? Are there conflicts in the church in Cincinnati? There are, aren't there? Are there, are there conflicts in your own home when there are three kids? Yes, there are. Are there conflicts in your own home when there are two kids? Still conflicts. What about when there's only one kid? Oh, boy. There's conflict between the child and mom and the child and dad. And then there's conflict between the mom and the dad over the child. So the solution, obviously, is to go to no child, right? No kids, no conflict, right? Is that how it works when you, when you get married? No kids, everything's beautiful until you have kids. There's no conflict, right? No, there's a group. When there's a group, there's conflict. There's judgments that have to be made. And sometimes those judgments have to be appealed up to higher courts. So Solomon would sit and judge and judge and judge and judge all day. And one day his father-in-law Jethro comes and his father-in-law says, are you crazy? What is it? What did I say? Oh, Moses. Yeah, Moses. Moses' father. Father-in-law comes. Did I get that name right? Jethro? Yeah, okay. Here we go. <laughs> That's what I thought you were correcting. I was like, it's Jethro, isn't it? <laughs> and his father-in-law says, you can't do this. You're going to wear yourself out and you're going to destroy the people. They can't all sit around all day waiting to get a judgment. Make the easy cases judged by people who can handle the easy cases. You know, one person over ten, judge those cases. If they can't figure that out, bump it up to a hundred. The judge that can judge over ten groups of ten. And so on, until the very hardest cases, you can judge, Moses. It makes sense, doesn't it? Wise man. Well, that sort of system is in place practically everywhere. Anytime you have a justice system, there are ways for justice to be done not simply at the top, but at various levels below that, but, but ways to appeal all the way to the top. When, when Paul is uh, facing trouble and accusations at the hands of the Jews while he is uh, in the custody of the Romans, what does he do? He appeals up to the top, to Caesar. That was one of the rights that he had as a Roman citizen. In this case, we don't know exactly why this case came to Solomon or who may have heard it before. But we do know that it came all the way to the top. 
came all the way to the top. Maybe a lower judge had made a decision and they had not been pleased with it, so they had appealed. Or maybe the lower judge had said, I don't know, and kicked it up to the next court. <laughs> and the next court had said, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure either. Send it to Solomon. Regardless, it ends up before Solomon, and we get this demonstration of his wisdom. Part of the reason that this case is so great is because you learn so much from it. It's not just an example of Solomon in this discreet instance showing what his wisdom looks like. He is demonstrating to us what wisdom looks like for us. So we can learn some wisdom by studying it. One of the things that, we, that I've already hinted at that we need to realize is how important justice is. Justice is supremely important. If you do a study of justice throughout the Bible, you find how central it is to God's character, that God is just. You find that it's central to his message through his prophets to his people. When he condemns them, one of the things he condemns them for is for not being just. For not caring about justice. One of the things he warns them against is against taking bribes. Because why? Because justice must be done. All through the book of Proverbs, you read about justice as a theme. Two examples, Proverbs 21.15 says, The exercise of justice is joy for the righteous, but is terror to the workers of iniquity. I love the ambiguity of the first part of that verse in the NASB. Different translations have this differently, but when it says the exercise of justice is joy for the righteous, there's two ways you could understand that, right? What does it mean for it to be joy for the righteous? Well, when justice is done, the righteous man says, yes, I got what was coming to me, right? <laughs> I got justice, finally, I took it to the courts and I got justice and it was a joy because I was in the right. Of course, the other way of understanding that sentence, the exercise of justice is joy for the righteous, is to say the righteous man loves to exercise justice himself, to be just. Regardless, the contrast that we get is that justice is terror to the workers of iniquity. 
So the contrast is set up for the first, the first interpretation, right? That the righteous love justice because it gets them what they needed, right? But the worker of iniquity is terrified of justice because they get what's coming to them. And when justice is perverted through a bribe or through favoritism or through any other method or means where justice is not done and injustice is done instead, right? Then what happens? Well, Proverbs 29.4, we get an example. The king gives stability to the land by justice. Stability. That sounds wonderful, doesn't it? A land without stability becomes what? A terrible place to live. A home without stability. Where the children never know what mom and dad are going to require of them. Never know whether they're going to be angry or happy. Never know what's going to be expected. A home without stability is a terrible place. A land without stability is a terrible place. But a king gives stability to the land by justice. But a man who takes bribes overthrows it. So what happens when injustice is done? When injustice is established by the courts? Stability is overthrown. That's the result. Justice. Particularly justice in hard cases. When justice is done, it leads people to fear the king and fear God. It leads to stability. Because when justice is done, it causes the evildoer to tremble. And then what does he not want to do anymore? He doesn't want to do evil anymore because he knows that it will find him out, that justice will find him out. And so justice prevents people from being oppressive. It prevents people from being abusive. Justice prevents abuse. You understand? Justice stops abuse in more ways than one. One, because justice reaches its hand in and says, no, give the child back, right? And so an abuse is ended. And two, because many people hear of it and they fear and they obey. Don't ever let the lie of Satan become convincing to you that justice is oppressive. That, that, that justice 
is going to make people feel bad and it'll only lead to worse behavior. You guys understand how backwards, how opposite that is from what the Bible says. From what we see in this very case, from our own even human common sense. Justice leads to fear of God and to good behavior. Justice is so, so important. And yes, justice is hard. So the reason the case is given, this particular case, is because justice is that important that even even the prostitutes need justice in the land. But also it's because of how hard the case is. And justice is hard. Any parent that has ever had the situation where it was he said, she said, has faced this, this case, what Solomon, and it sounds like he's just doing what most parents do, you know, throw up his hands and be like, he says, she says, I don't know, what are you going to do? Solomon's judgment is so wise because not only does it accurately determine whose child is it, right? I mean, it's like, oh, duh, it's obvious whose child it is, right? Divide the living child in two and give half to the one and half to the other. Then the woman whose child was the living one spoke to the king, for she was deeply stirred over her son and said, Oh, my Lord, give her the living child and by no means kill him. That's what a mother would say, isn't it? But the other said, He shall be neither mine nor yours. Divide him. And you may think, how could you be so stupid to make that mistake in a court of law? And some people aren't going to make that mistake, right? Some people aren't going to make that mistake. Not to that extent, anyway. Nevertheless, you can learn a lot from this, parents. You can learn a lot from this. Because it almost doesn't matter whether he was right or not. Who do you want to have the child? The woman who cares about the child. Now, he was right. She is the mother, right? But it almost doesn't matter. Give the child to the one who loves the child, regardless of who the mother is.
there are many, many elements of justice that are a bit confusing. When you enter into the foster care system and adoption, it's, it's a miserable nightmare of judges having to make hard decisions. And there's just, there's just no way around it. It's, it's miserable. It's hard. There are judges making hard decisions every day around this country. And we have no sympathy for them, do we? Because they can be right 99% of the time and they make one wrong judgment. We hear about it and we're like, how dare they? We're so sure that we would do better. It's like when I asked the guys in jail last week, I asked them what they would do, how, how hard they thought it would be to judge. And one of them was like, well, none of us would be in here if I was judge, you know. <laughs> it's not right. He wasn't claiming he was innocent. He was just saying the criminal justice system is messed up. And you know, frankly... It's hard for me to argue with him. Just like I think that the adoption and, and child uh, protective services is messed up, so also foster system is messed up, so also is the criminal justice system. It's messed up. Yeah, there's a lot of problems with it. Do I think that I could do better, though? Maybe in some areas... Possibly, if God gave me a lot of wisdom, I might be able to fix some problems. Maybe. I would be hesitant to guess what the unintended consequences of my decisions were going to be, though. <laughs> I am glad. that I'm not king. That's what I'm saying. Many of us wish we were king. Many of us are sure we could do better. Solomon did better. Solomon was wise. Solomon was given wisdom from God and it led to good outcomes. Now, I said that there's a lot that we can learn from Solomon's justice in this case. One of the things is you must not fail to give justice to your children. You have to give justice even to your children. Now, having said that, you also have to discern which 
are important cases for a superior court to hear, and which are cases where the court will not hear an appeal. <laughs> you understand? This is part of the, the system that Moses put in place. Only certain cases make it up higher. And as a higher court, as a parent, you say, well, higher court? There's no court below me. And I say, oh, yes, there's a little bit of, uh, of higher court that happens with older siblings and younger siblings, isn't there? Just a little bit? There's a court there. There's judgments that are made, decisions that are binding to a certain extent, unless it's appealed. And sometimes you have to say, no, I'm not hearing the case. And you might say it because it just doesn't matter. It doesn't rise to the level of needing your attention, right? Or you might say it because you simply say, the lower court's decision stands. Now, that's not when you've made a a decision. If you hear the case, you can still say the lower court's decision stands. You understand that's that's having made a judgment, though, at the higher court. I'm saying... If you dismiss the case, that's also saying the lower court's decision stands. And you say, okay, but children, I mean, it can be messy and you don't really want to... uh, That's right. You better be careful letting the lower court's decision stand all the time. You better give justice. Or what you're going to do is establish disorder in your home. Right? Whoever has power reigns. Their desires become law. That's not good for your children. Just as it's not good for a kingdom. Now, I've been holding back a little bit because So far, I've been talking about higher and lower courts in your own home and saying, yeah, I mean, there's there's sort of like a lower court. Let's, let's, Let's dig a little bit deeper. What if mom gives a decision and the child appeals to dad? It's a lower and a higher court, isn't it? Oh, boy, you better be careful, dad, if you're going to accept appeals. If you don't want to teach your children to disrespect your wife, justice is multifaceted, isn't it? Justice teaches children that they must listen to their mother. How about teachers? Teachers are a lower court. They teach in loco parentis, which is to say 
when the parents are crazy, the teachers teach loco, right? <laughs> That's not what it means, sorry. <laughs> what does it mean? Do any of you kids know? Yes. In the place of the parents. Yeah. So when teachers make decisions, sometimes... They'll be wrong, right? And the child can appeal to the parents. And in our society, boy, what a mess we have. No concept of telling the children the decision has been made. Live with it. Oh no, I have to make sure I do justice. I have, to, I have to double check every single thing that the teachers and the administration and so forth decides because I can't let any little injustice stand. Remember what I said. Justice is necessary. It is important. You do not want to cause your children to lose heart through injustice. But you better be careful which cases you hear as a superior court. And you better be very hesitant to override them. You must listen to lower courts. You must start with the assumption that their decision stands unless. Not their decision doesn't stand unless you determine it is correct. No. Their decision stands unless you determine it is incorrect. And even then, sometimes you decide their decision stands even though it was incorrect. Courts do this all the time. Sorry, you don't have standing to appeal it anymore. I might have said that they were wrong, but it doesn't matter. You can't appeal it. The decision has been made. Now you need to learn to live with it. Well, what else can we live and learn from this. Well, we can, we can live out applying principles to specific situations. That's what Solomon was doing here. He's applying the principle of love to the specific situation of a court case. I'm going to tell a funny story about a lower court and a higher court because I think it'll I think it'll help you understand some of what I'm saying. So <clears throat> we don't have a TV in our house. And 
Well, we do have a computer, um, a couple phones, and I have been known from time to time to play a game on my phone. And for a while, we had a Kindle, a little Kindle piece of junk. And Tate would play this game called, uh, what was that called? He doesn't even remember. This was years ago. Tate doesn't play computer games. I'm the only one in my, in my house that plays computer games. It's kind of funny. Every once in a while. Now, at the start of this school year, there was a, uh, there was a course that Tate was taking on how to study. He had to keep track of his time for a week, and he got points taken off for not recording any time on TV or computer games. It's funny. <laughs> there was no time. <laughs> Live with it. Who cares? Tate was a little bit put out that he had points taken off. And you know what? Here's the thing. I made it sound like it's obvious that the, that the judge was wrong. But it's not even obvious that the judge was wrong. If you're required to fill out a form and you leave a line blank, instead of writing zero on it, I might take points off for that. Did you forget that line or did you put zero in? It's, you got to make it clear. I never even bothered to look at the assignment. I just laughed. The judge, the higher court laughed. Case dismissed. Now, I hope I'm not embarrassing you too much. <laughs> it's, it doesn't reflect poorly on Tate, so it's, a, it's an easy story to tell, right? But, uh, it doesn't reflect poorly on anybody. That's what I'm, that's what I'm trying to get at. There, there are so many situations where the answer needs to be the decision is made, it's time to move on, this is not worth raising another level of court. There are many times when you face a decision between two children, and you need to do what Solomon did, which is come up with a new case. Solomon essentially threw out the first case. The case was, whose word, you know, she says, she says... How are you going to decide between them? I don't know. You can't. Okay, new case. Cut the baby in two and see how the two respond. Okay. Now here's a person who's in the right and here's a person who's in the wrong. Easy. So much of the time doing justice with your children when it's one versus the other, one said this, the other said that, it comes down to making a judgment 
for the one who is more in the right right now. There's one child who's yelling at you. And there's one child who's appealing to you. You can just judge for the child that's appealing to you and against the one that's yelling at you. That's all it takes. New case right now. Here it is. Someone speaking respectfully to their parents. Someone speaking disrespectfully to their parents. It's an easy, it's an easy judgment to make. You see what I'm saying? That justice is important, but we are so multifaceted in the things that need to be taught, in the ways that justice needs to be enforced, in the areas that justice needs to be enforced. An awful lot of the time, we really don't know the answer, and that's okay. It's still possible to teach and enforce justice. Because justice does not allow a child to speak disrespectfully to his mother without discipline. No matter the extenuating circumstances. And so you have to be willing to make judgments. And as I've tried to go back and forth and back and forth in examples and, and saying, you have to judge, you have to judge wisely, sometimes it'll be impossible. You have to give justice, but sometimes you should dismiss the case. You know, it might sound impossible to you still. You wouldn't be crazy to think, this is an impossible task just for my family, let alone for a kingdom. In which case, maybe it'll drive you to remember what Solomon did. He prayed for wisdom. And God used that to establish justice in his home in that kingdom, for his people. So let us seek clear rules. Let us seek clear judgments. Let us be willing to submit to higher courts. Let us as a people pray for wisdom. And let us pray for our rulers that they will love justice because wisdom only comes from God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we find it difficult to make wise judgments. We find it sometimes intolerable simply being asked to make a judgment. But Father, we ask that you would help us not to throw away justice, but that we would establish it by your wisdom 
in our homes. We thank you that you have promised to give wisdom to any who lack, who will simply pray to you. And so we pray to you now. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pray that we would be taught to fear you, to fear and honor those who are in authority over us for the sake of doing good. We ask all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. We also now have the joy of celebrating the Lord's Supper together. The Apostle Paul rebukes the church in Corinth for the way that they were celebrating the Lord's Supper and then gives this instruction. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. So what Paul is saying to the church in Corinth is, you haven't been doing this. You haven't been celebrating it properly, and that's why some of you are sick and some of you have even died. That's how serious this meal is. Nevertheless, it's a command that his people are required to celebrate it. So how do you know whether you should eat and drink in such a way that it won't be eating and drinking judgment on yourself? Well, you have to be one of his people. It's a meal only for people who are in his church, who have joined themselves to his church through baptism, being made members of a particular body and submitting themselves to the court of the elders. It's also required that we examine ourselves. Examine ourselves for what? To see if there's any sin in us? No. Paul is not saying that only people who haven't sinned can come to this meal. Paul is saying 
only people who have sinned and who are repentant can come to this meal. If we go back and read earlier his rebuke, one of the other things that he mentions is the lack of unity in the body of Christ. This meal is meant to demonstrate that we are one in Christ Jesus, all sinners before him, all saved by grace. And so it's not appropriate for there to be favoritism. There's not appropriate, it's not appropriate for there to be disunity and fighting and cliques and various factions in the church. It's not appropriate for some people to get plenty and other people to go hungry. We're all to be one in this. So if you have something against your brother, before you celebrate this meal, make it right with him. Forgive and be forgiven. Let us not be selfish. Let us not be jealous. But let us remember that God has been generous and given us more than we could have ever asked or even thought of. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, glorify yourself in this meal and our celebration of it, we pray. We do thank you that Jesus Christ was willing to humble himself by becoming man, your son, God incarnate. We thank you that he was willing to suffer and to die so that our sins might be forgiven. That he gave up his body, that he shed his blood in order that we could be made one in Christ before you. We thank you, Father, that you demonstrated the effectiveness of his sacrifice by raising him from the dead. And so now, Father, as we remember his death, it causes us to remember our sins. We ask that you would forgive us, that you would grant us true repentance, that we might be saved from this perverse generation. We ask all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.